Frittercast Podcast. I always find it a little awkward to start Crittercast episodes. Like, you know, where do you, where do you put the start? Do you just say like, hello, welcome to Crittercast? Or do you try to do like a weird natural intro? The reality is, I don't really know what to do. So today I'm just going to do a straightforward, regular welcome to Crittercast. I have to double check. I think this is episode 26. Let me make sure. It's now that we've switched to recording every two weeks, it's kind of hard to remember um, whether we're supposed to be doing like what episode. Yeah, this is episode 26. So welcome to episode 26 of CritterCast. You will recognize in absence on today's episode and that is because um, we're doing another fun little solo Karina episode. And that's not uh, intentional, but here at CritterCast, we go with the flow when things happen. So uh, unfortunately, there's a flu bug going around and my lovely co-host Cassie has been hit hard by the stomach flu. And we, since we're only uploading every other week now, we didn't want to take this week off and then not, and then switch our uploading schedule. It just, we didn't want to confuse you guys. So instead, we just decided, you know what, Karina will do a quick solo episode this week on a critter that Cassie's not particularly fond of talking about and then in two weeks back to our regular uploading schedule you guys will get your normally scheduled CritterCast episode um which is fine because Karina was supposed to do the research for this week anyway so there you go I just did research on a different critter um it will be sort of a shorter episode just because this is not a critter that there's a ton of information to talk about um and I'm I'm sure it's a critter that not everybody is excited to hear about but Here's the thing about today's critter, you guys. I live with them. They're always in my house. I constantly feed them to my other animals. And so I thought it was time that I just understand more. Today, we're talking about mealworms. And the funny thing about mealworms is that this is the most common form that you'll find these critters in because of the fact that they are often feeder insects. Um, but that's not their their full-fledged forms. You know, last week when we were last episode, when we were talking about axolotls, we were talking about how they're these um, little tadpole-like creatures that never grow up past, you know, they never pupate or morph or evolve into their um, their final adult stage. This is just how evolution has taught axolotls to be. They just stop at their teenage stage, at their tadpole stage. Um, but today we're going to be talking about mealworms who do pupate to their final stage. The the larval stage, which is the mealworm stage, is the third out of four stages of their life cycle. But we'll most commonly see them in the third stage, and that's because that's when they're usually fed to other animals as uh, feeder insects for the reptile hobby. I am recording this episode in my bedroom today, which is really distracting because from where I'm sitting, I have full view of A, at least two dogs and the cats kind of come in and out, and B, all of my reptile tanks. And somebody this morning, Mr. Cornelius, our gorgeous orange corn snake, is apparently very hungry because he's out and trying to escape his cage, which he can't. It is escape proof. It locks um, from the front and the top screen is locked on so he can't get out, but he's certainly looking for a way out because I think he's hungry and he wants to eat. Um, So that's really distracting. But 
that's why I decided to talk about mealworms today because I keep them in my house. I have a little jar of them. They live in um, food that they can eat and then I also toss in fruits and veggie scraps and I feed them to our geckos. I feed them to both the leopard geckos and the crested gecko um, uh, as well as other insects. They get a varied diet but because they get mealworms so often I thought why don't I know anything about these creatures that I'm feeding to my animals? You know my dogs eat a variety of different meats mixed into processed dog food as well as my cats. I know they eat chicken and turkey and beef and Um, I know about those animals, but for some reason, I didn't think it was important to know really about the insects that I was feeding my geckos. So for all of you people that listened to our very first episode on geckos of CritterCast, went and got yourself a gecko and have been feeding them mealworms, this episode's for you. Or if you're just interested in mealworms and you're one of those people that's like, hey, I kind of like bugs, I want to talk about them, then that's what today is for. Um, But before we get into the deep and nitty gritty, we have started interacting with other podcast hosters, other small podcasts like ours. Um, Specifically, we like to support a lot of female podcasts because, you know, why not? That's, That's really what we're here to do is support other female creators. And we're doing a couple promo swaps over the next couple episodes. So what that means is we made a short little commercial about a minute long of our um, of our podcast of CritterCast and send it to these ladies and they sent us their short little commercials as well. So it's a one minute out of your podcast experience for CritterCast and you're going to get to hear about some really, really awesome podcasts. Be aware, listeners, I'm never going to put an episode in. I'm never going to put a promo in for a podcast that I myself do not enjoy. That's how great I feel about these podcasts. I think they're awesome. Their promos are awesome. And, you know, enjoy these promos so that you can maybe check them out. And if you like them, then that's absolutely wonderful. So this week, you guys are going to enjoy a promo from Mysterious Midwest, which, you know, I'll let them tell you all about it. Hey, this is Danielle. And this is Sarah. We're the Mysterious Midwest Podcast. We'll be coming at you every Monday with the ookiest and the spookiest happenings in the Midwest. From cryptids to hauntings and creatures that go bump in the night. Join us for a laugh and a drink while we talk about the strange and unusual. You can find us at MysteriousMidwestPod.com. And we're downloadable on wherever you listen to your podcast. We're also all over that social media. So you can find us on Facebook at Mysterious Midwest Podcast, Twitter at Mist Midwest, that's M-Y-S-T Midwest, and Instagram at Mysterious Midwest. That's it. That's it. Keep it spooky. spooky. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> I know I for sure have checked out Mysterious Midwest, and I'm really enjoying their podcast, so I hope you guys check them out too. Thanks so much for the ladies at Mysterious Midwest for sending us their promo, and you know, keep an ear out. If you do start listening to them, maybe you'll hear our promo one of these days soon as well. But without further ado, it's time to get into the Critter of the Week. We are talking about mealworms this week, of course, as I've already prefaced why I chose this critter. Um, you know, there's, like I said, a shorter-ish episode because there's not a lot to talk about with them, but we're going to talk about them anyway. So I've already mentioned it, but mealworms are technically the larva stage of um, what's called a mealworm beetle. And their Latin name, forgive me ahead of time for completely butchering this, but their Latin name is Tenebrio molitar. Molitar. 
I think that I didn't butcher it too much. Um, and they are a species of darkling beetle. So I'm sure many of you have seen beetles. They're little exoskeleton insects. I got six legs, little antennae, and they look kind of skittery, scuttery. And there's lots of different types of beetles, but mealworm beetles are um, pretty typical looking of beetles. They're, uh, let's see, the adults are generally like 1.25 to 1.8 centimeters, but mealworms, we're mostly talking about their larval stage, they're usually two and a half centimeters or larger. They're bigger than the beetle size. They just get, like, they start small and then they pupate a couple times, um, shed their, not pupate, they, no, I think it is called pupate. I'm not sure. But they shed their skin a couple times getting bigger until they go into their little pupas and then emerge as beetles. Um, Oh my god, Cornelius, you're being so distracting. He's like up in his plants, being a goof. Oh my goodness gracious. But, so the, there are four stages of a mealworm beetle's life. First stage is that they, of course, are little birthed as eggs. And then when they hatch out of their eggs, they become larvae, which is coon or their chrysalis stage. And then they emerge from there as adult little darkwing beetles. And that's not my favorite stage because what happens when you keep mealworms as a reptile owner and you just keep a couple of them around is if you don't feed them off fast enough they will pupate and those look kind of gross but it's like oh whatever and then all of a sudden you have beetles hanging out and you're like ugh, beetles you can't really feed those to your reptiles the same way you can feed mealworms to your reptiles it's just i mean you can but it's not the same they don't have the same nutritional value so you know, let's, let's talk about, um, well, we'll finish talking about mealworms and, and how they breed most excellently. So the mealworm beetle, they breed, um, as adults, they don't breed as mealworms. So when you have like 50 mealworms that you buy, you're not going to end up with 51 mealworms because they don't breed until they're full on beetles, um, until they're at their most adult stage, but they beat prolif, they breed prolifically which means they're not uh, asexual breeders or anything fancy like that. The The male must inject the female with sperm, and then the female will lay all her eggs. Um, it's pretty straightforward stuff. Though, actually, there's an interesting fact here that when they're ready to breed, they secrete a certain pheromone, which is normal. But I guess they have come up with a defense where when there's a lot of inbreeding going on, that pheromone weakens and weakens and weakens. So it helps prevent these little otherwise sort of simple insects from doing too much inbreeding and keeping their genetics pretty healthy, which I think that's fascinating because we as humans know we shouldn't inbreed. We know that it's dangerous. We know it has health effects, but we can understand a concept at a more advanced level. These insects have no idea what they're doing. They just meet when they meet, but that nature and their evolutionary pattern has led them to find a way to not inbreed between cousins and siblings so that they can remain healthier and have lots of genetic diversity. And that I think is absolutely fascinating. Um, when the females do lay eggs, they like to burrow them into soft ground, into dirt or, you know, whatever is in the area that they're in. And they'll lay about 500 eggs, which pupate for four to 19 days before they hatch. Um, and lots and lots of predators like to eat their eggs or their newly hatched larvae or mealworms, which, you know, there's a reason they breed so much and they breed so frequently. It's because they are essentially the feeder insects of nature. You know, they, they live their life, but they're really there to be eaten by lots and lots of other animals. Um, 
including birds, reptiles, and sometimes even other beetles, which is such a sad life to live. Honestly, you're born to be eaten. Whether you're born in, you know, a human captivity to purposely be fed off, sold and fed off, or whether you're just born in nature, living your life, and you know you're probably going to get eaten long before you could ever actually live. Um, in in which case, uh, you know, we don't, we don't do a lot of, um, we don't do a lot of research into the adult lifespan or like the full lifespan of a mealworm. I mean, we do because they are used pretty heavily in, um, in research, but it, it usually takes like, let's say, so it takes that nine, the four to 19 days to hatch from egg into larva. And then they'll usually be at the larva between probably like three to four weeks. And then they will go into their pupa and they, in their pupa three to 30 days, depending on temperature and environmental conditions, you know, they're going to stay in there until it's ripe to come out as a beetle. And then they can live as a beetle for another few weeks. But we're not talking about animals that can live for a, a very, very long time, of course, because they're insects and they just, they just don't have it in them. Plus it, everything is a factor in lifespan. Again, the fact that they are the feeder insects of the, of the world, which, you know, that it is what it is. Um, we talk about mealworms a lot because they're actually pretty heavily involved in human society. And maybe you wouldn't think about that. You don't see mealworms out and about like you see earthworms in, um, at least not in North America. They emerged first in the Mediterranean areas, but because of invasive species and then being brought over and then being um, brought into people's homes as captive bred insects and all that good stuff. Um, they're kind of all over the place now, but they're, they're still not common in nature, at least where I live, uh, where I live, where I live. Queen can't really talk today. <laughs> they're not commonly found outdoors where I live, but if you live somewhere where you see mealworms like outside, just living their lives, like wild mealworms, tell me. That's such an, a novel concept. We talk about wild animals and, and we're thinking like, oh, you know, wild animals like cats and tigers and bears like these you know wild uncontrollable creatures and when you think about it like I go outside and I see a ladybug that's a wild ladybug but I'm like here ladybug crawl on my finger hang out with me while I mini golf that's just what I do and I think everybody does that but they are also wild animals they're just much more simplistic and not at all harmful to people and that is the case with mealworms and mealworm beetles most definitely but they are heavily involved in human society, and that's for a number of reasons. One is, of course, they are food for many of our larger reptile pets for birds. A lot of bird keepers can use mealworms as treats for their animals, and actually food for people. Now, here comes the part in which I know this is what Cassie wouldn't want to talk about when we talk about mealworms, is that people most definitely can eat mealworms. Do people choose to eat mealworms? Yes, actually, all over the world. Not necessarily in the United States where we're based, and that's because we have this weird idea of insects as food and it grosses us out for whatever reason. But the thing is that mealworms are very high in protein and like have basically zero fat. It's all exoskeleton and protein. So when you crush them up and use them, or you could just roast them, some places they just roast them and eat them whole as a snack, as a little protein snack. 
but I have actually had mealworms in a chocolate chip cookie before, which, um, you know, I wouldn't say it's my finest moment. I am from the United States and it did kind of gross, the concept of it did kind of gross me out. But I was visiting a zoo once, I think it was the San Francisco Zoo, and they were having, you know, one of their special, um, one of their special like themed days and they were talking about insects and a variety of different insects and how we can think of them in different ways and one of the booths was like hey here's these two cookies one is a normal chocolate chip cookie and one has mealworms crushed up into it can you taste the difference and straight up you guys I could not taste the difference I mean maybe like the texture was a little bit different on the one that had the mealworm in it but they were crushed up and just added into the dry ingredients so it's not like there were full-on mealworms in it um and I just think you know, we're, we're really missing out on a golden opportunity to help boost protein. But I, then again, if you're vegan, I guess you couldn't eat mealworms anyway, even though I highly doubt that vegans would have the same. Well, you know, I'm not going to say that because I'm not a vegan and I don't know why people choose to be vegan. I mean, I do when I listen to their stories, but overall, every person chooses to be vegan for a different reason. So I'm not going to judge you or your life. If you don't want to eat mealworms, that's fine. Uh, most people won't. I probably will continue to not eat mealworms on the regular, but the reality is they're actually quite nutritious and humans can and do eat them in lots of other areas, specifically in Southeast Asia. They like to just uh, consume them regularly and they're commonly sold in markets and in like street carts along with all kinds of other edible items. So, you know, baked or fried, little healthy snacks um and they're kind of gaining popularity around the world but I think it'll be hard for people to ever get past the fact that they're eating bugs you know um they can in we can raise them by feeding them they can eat grains or oats so a lot of times you'll see mealworms that are packaged in oat bedding because that it can be both a food and a bedding for them um but they should also eat um, sliced fruit, like small slices of fruits and vegetable scraps. So like I'll toss in potatoes or carrots or apple, um, with mine because it gives them moisture. So they get a little bit of water. And it's also just when you're feeding them to your reptiles, you want to make sure your reptiles are getting lots of nutrition and they're not just getting oat fed mealworms. So that's a really important thing. Um, I think a lot of people, uh, don't realize how important it is to take good care of feeder insects that you're going to be feeding to your animals. Just like we want everyone to take good care of agricultural and farm animals that eventually humans or dogs or cats will eat, we want them to be happy and healthy and stress-free during their life because it actually improves their health, which improves the quality of the meat that we eat. Um, plus, it's just the humane thing to do. Come on, everybody knows that. Um, you also want to do the same with insects. You know, people don't think about it. They'll buy a little container of mealworms and just leave them in this tiny container uh, for weeks and then feed them and not do anything because they don't know any better. But if you're giving those animals to your reptiles, you're not giving your reptiles the best food that they could possibly get. So it's really important to make sure that your feeder uh, insects are what's called gut loaded and that's feeding them food. And that they are dusted in multivitamins and that they have a nice fulfilled little insect life too because it's just going to be healthier when you feed them to your reptiles. Um, they are, like I said, used as food for other captive pets, so not just reptiles, but they can also be fed to fish and birds. Um, and they can also be put in like wild bird feeders. If you've got like a little bird house in your backyard, you could put mealworms in there for them. The thing about mealworms and feeding them to your captive um, captive bred pets is that you should never buy like freeze-dried or frozen or dead 
mealworms and try to feed them to your reptiles or your birds. I made that mistake when I first got Basil. I realized after I got him that I was so excited to get him that I forgot to ask his breeder what he was eating or what the best thing was. And I knew they ate mealworms, but I was an idiot and I went to the pet store and in the shelf with all the regular reptile stuff, that's not where they keep their live feeders. It's just where they keep, um, you know, all the stuff. And I knew they could eat crickets too, but I just got him a bag of freeze dried mealworms and I like they, I opened them and I put some in there and he just never even looked at them. And I only ever put three in there and I had to throw the bag away because, um, reptiles are not going to eat dead things. They have to move. They have to hunt. Um, I've never met a reptile that would eat an already dead mealworm. So don't waste your money on that. Just buy a container of live mealworms to feed to your reptiles. Uh, they have also been apparently incorporated into tequila flavored novelty candies. They're not traditionally served in tequila, um, but they, their larval stage can be incorporated into tequila flavor, which is weird, right? I don't drink tequila or eat tequila flavored candy, but I think that's kind of (laughs) like when you're just trying to enjoy something and you're like, oh, there's mealworms in this? Cool, chill. Um, If you don't know straight up, it, it can definitely, uh, throw you off a little bit. They are also found interacting with humans as pests, unfortunately, because even though, like I said, they started in the Mediterranean region, they're all over the place now. Um, and they, because they can be stored in grains, um, they can be pests because they, they get into grains and there's all of a sudden just kind of mealworms in there and people do not love that. So there, um, there's a lot of, research on there. Like if you're not looking for mealworms as reptile feeders and you go on the internet and you're just like, Hey, what's up with mealworms? You'll get a lot of articles about how to try and get rid of them, um, in your garden or in, on your farm. Cause they, they can be a problem with that. But you know, what animal have we talked about that isn't a problem or it can't be, a, you know, a, a pest one way or another. Their nutrient composition, I kind of already touched on it, but but uh, the actual numbers are that for every 100 grams of a mealworm larva, there is 206 calories and anywhere from 14 to 25 grams of protein are contained. They also contain significant levels of potassium, copper, sodium, selenium, iron, and zinc, um, and those, those numbers, if you look at them, line up really well with beef. So, if you're eating beef to get your iron and to get your zinc and your protein, then you could just eat mealworms <laughs> and it would be similar. You would have to eat like a significant amount of mealworms though to compare it to like a piece of beef. Um, they also contain essential linoleic acids, you know, cause that's great. And they have better vitamin content by weight compared to beef. Um, though calcium B12 is not included, not calcium just B12 is a vitamin and it's not included. They don't have that. So you will have to continue eating beef if you want to make sure you get your B12, not through a, um, artificial vitamin. They also, um, in just recently in 2015, it was discovered that mealworms are capable of degrading a type of plastic called polystyrene, um, in you into usable organic matter at a rate of 34 to 39 milligrams per day. And there was no difference found between mealworms fed only on styrofoam and mealworms fed on conventional food um, during just this one one month ex- experiment that they conducted. Um, they really have no idea 
how that happened. Like there just was no difference between, hey, here's a mealworm we've been feeding oatmeal for a month and a mealworm that we've literally just been letting eat plastic for a month. Um, They look the same. They're functioning the same. They both seem to be able to pupate into adults the same. Um, That doesn't mean that if you were to feed your mealworms in captivity styrofoam and then give them to your reptiles that that's a good idea because we're not talking about their nutritional effects on the animals that eat them um it wasn't that studied and people haven't really followed up on that which i think it's insane because we really should be following up on this there are mealworms everywhere they're very easy to breed they're very easy to keep and we could be using them to break down styrofoam which is such a huge economic problem and ecological problem like this is a huge contributor to all the waste and the dumps and hordes of trash dumps and we could be using mealworms to break some of that plastic down that's absolutely insane and I don't understand why we're not trying to do more research into the mechanics of that and how to actually make it work for us because that's a really big deal if any of you are at all mindful and I assume most of you are as critter lovers you're probably planet lovers as well you do love your earth and and we care about it and we want to find solutions to problems and there's not one big solution that everybody can change their lives in a simple and simple and quick and easy way to combat global warming and uh, pollution all over the world but every little thing that we find that can help we should be taking advantage of so I really think that we should be doing a lot more into that um, you know, not my, not my favorite, um, topic to get into. I don't love getting into the, the more serious, sad stuff, but sometimes you gotta, you know, sometimes you just don't have a choice and you have to, you gotta go there, which is what I did today. All right, let's move on to our next topic. We're still talking about mealworms, of course, but it's time to talk about some fun facts. Um, these are from a, a children's magazine called Sciencing. There's just a couple things in here that, of course, we know that mealworms are the baby versions of the adult mealworm beetle, which is a type of darkling beetle. Um, did you know, actually, let's take a pause for a moment. Did you know that beetles have more variety than anything else on earth? When we talked about geckos, we were so shocked by how many different types of geckos there were, but they're over, get this, 350,000 types of beetles. That's crazy, right? Because when you think of beetle, you think of like one thing, right? Like a big scarab beetle, but there are 350,000 different types of beetles and that's crazy. Um, when they're in their full adult stage, they're really dark, um, dark, dark, dark yellow, and they have brown stripes down their bodies. Um, but when you look at them in captivity, they almost kind of just look black because they just, they look so different from, um, from the larval mealworms that we're used to seeing. Cause it's always a shock when you open up your container of mealworms and you're like, <laughs> beetles, so chill, so cool. Um, that's kind of, you know, them's the facts, my friends, them's the facts. There's nothing incredibly shocking or interesting about mealworms, so there's no, like, viral moments in today's episode, but I still think it's a great thing to talk about. Before we wrap up this very short episode today, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about what's going on in the Crittercast world, because we usually do that at the beginning of the episode, but I forgot, and I was so excited to get into talking about mealworms that we just didn't finish talking about 
what's going on. So like I said, the reason that it's just a small solo episode today is because the flu hit this household and it took Cassie down with it. And I'm very glad that I was not the one to come down with the flu, but it it is sad to be missing our co-host for this episode of CritterCast. However, we will be back at it for episode 27 and we'll be switching it back up. Cassie will do her research. She'll bring me a cool critter and we will talk about it. We've also got a couple guest hosts lined up for our next couple episodes, a couple more promos lined up for our next couple episodes. And um, here's the thing. I have uh, fallen off the track um, with with Patreon. We made lots of promises about different stuff that was going to go up on our Patreon and the reality is I have not updated it and that's just been because my life is kind of insane but that's not your guys's fault. So this weekend my goal is to this weekend my weekend start on Sundays and on mid Mondays. <laughs> They're about one and a half days long um, but that's my goal for the next day or two is to uh, get some more stuff up on our Patreon. So if you're really really antsy to check that stuff out go check out our Patreon. Just search up CritterCast on Patreon. You'll find our page. And there is a couple things on there. There's some little teasers that are public. But in order to gain full access to that content, you will have to sign up and support us on Patreon. And you can support us for as little as $1 per month, or you can support us for as much as you want. There's no limit, but we do have some different tiers set in there, and that will get you immediate access to some of the content. If you go all the way up to, I think, $5 is where you're going to get access to all of the digital content that's on there. And if you if you choose to support us for more than $5 a month, there's extra goodies like we're doing annual birthday packages and annual postcards. Everybody gets a postcard when they sign up, so that's exciting because, you know, Postcards are cute, and I think you'll like them. Um, In other news, before, not before the next time you hear from us, but around the next time you hear from us, we'll have attended yet another reptile show. So we are going to be, actually, the next time you hear from us, we'll be at the reptile show. That's how it works out. So the episode you hear will have been recorded before we go, but then um, you'll see some exciting media that day that we're posting because we'll be there. We are going to the Reptilian Nation show, at the Cow Palace in Daly City, California. If any of you are interested in attending, there's no pre-sale tickets available, but I believe from what I've been able to find that it's going to be $12 to get in and $12 to park. There should be plenty of parking because it's a really big facility. Um, We've never been to this show before, but we're really excited to go and hang out. We do not intend to bring any critters home with us this time. (laughs) That's the goal is to not bring any home. We do actually have an open tank right now. Oh, I forgot to give that news. Our, Our lovely little foster gecko Mello was adopted. We did post that on our social media. So if you follow us on social media, you'll know that. But if you only listen to our episodes, then you wouldn't have known that our lovely gecko Mello was adopted to an absolutely lovely family. They have a bearded dragon and they were hoping to get a leopard gecko and when they found out that they could adopt one instead of purchasing um, one from a pet store they were so excited and not only were we able to give them this lovely um, rescue adult leopard gecko but we also were able to you know welcome them into the local reptile community tell them about all the stores that we love and support gx3 reptiles and supplies aquarium depot slash reptile depot um and uh and Splash Aquarium, another place that we love to go to, things that they had never heard about, and now they're able to go and check out these amazing reptile stores and enjoy the same community that we're enjoying. Um, we're just so, so excited for Mellow. So now we technically do have an empty tank, but we intend to leave it open in case we have any fosters in the near future that need, you know, a low leopard gecko-sized tank. 
because um, we'll also upgrade Fifi, Serafina, probably into that bigger tank soon because right now she's in a small tank, but she's quickly growing up and is going to want to be in the bigger tank. And then we'll have a small tank available for um, for our fosters. But we're, we're not going to be investing in any new pets uh, anytime in the near future just because I think, I think we're good on new pets right now. Uh, but we'll be there at the show. If you guys are going to come as well, if you're local to our area and you want to come see it, if you're a personal friend of ours and you want to carpool, let us know. We've got a couple of spots open on our car. Um, and if you're not a personal friend, but you want to come and you want to stop by and say hi to us, we'll be there. We're bringing lots of stickers and business cards, and we're hoping to have some other merchandise. We're hoping to have some new t-shirts that we'll be able to wear when we're there, um, so that you'll be able to identify us with our CritterCast theme, our logo, and all of our adorable, adorable animals. I, I hope you guys have really enjoyed this episode. Like I said, I know it was a short one, and I'm sorry about that about half the length our episodes usually are we usually try to go between 45 minutes and an hour but you know this is a nice little short one if you've got a shorter commute to work or you know you're stuck in traffic on your way home what's usually a 10 minute drive turns into a 30 minute drive and you have a perfect episode of CritterCast to listen to so thank you guys so much for listening in uh see you later alligator (laughs) after a while crocodile